Welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 9, verse 35, and we'll look all the way to chapter 10, verse 1 will be our text this morning. It's great to be with you this morning, church family. My name is Clint Wilkie, and I work for the Mid-South Church Planting Network, that network which was taken on by your pastor, Hunter, uh, before, and I took his spot, and now he's planting here in Collierville. So excited to see you here and how God is working. I often say this, uh, thanks for coming to make a mess, uh, to learn how to use your gifts, to learn how to, to be weak and humble, and to enter into the small things. The Bible right does say, do not despise a day of small things. And maybe those are the things we despise the most, small things, hard things, beginning things, starting things. So may God richly bless you in your mission and, and journey ahead as a church plan as we regularly pray for you and think about you in our midst of Mid-South. Uh, we have right now going on seven active church plants across the Mid-South Church Planning Network, and we're thankful that you are already supporting us, helping us to do this work together with the 35-plus partner churches and many individuals and those particular church planters. So I've been on the road recruiting, finding another church planter for Ocean Springs. You may know that one of Hunter's close friends, Philip Seeley, died of cancer uh, at the beginning of 2020. And by the grace of God, there's another man who's being called to that work, and we hope to have him on the field in January. So uh, just to bring you up to speed, some of you may, may, or, not, may or may not know that. Um, so thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for my work. I'm married to Kathy of 28 years. We have five children. Two are married, thankfully. I think another one's on the way to be married. Um, and so uh, pray for us as we, uh, in my 52-year-old self, trying to help out 35 and under is what I often try to say. How, do, how can I help? the next generation have hope, right? To believe the gospel is true and the kingdom of God lasts forever and ever. And so one of my biggest jobs is to encourage pastors to be pastors. So pastoring pastors and encouraging them to invest in the work of church planting and the Great Commission is what we need to do. I wonder what it would be like if churches all in Collierville or across the Mid-South began to partner because of the Great Commission. I wonder how much that would really change the flavor and the nature of our work together. I believe it would change it greatly. So I'm thankful that you're a part of that work and you're supporting that as well. We do live in a world, right, that kingdoms are, are colliding literally, right? My wife was reading to me this morning about the Chinese pastor and his wife who have been chained into their house, not allowed to leave to go preach the gospel. And we can hear of the warring nations in the Middle East and the things going on in Russia. We see our own internal politics and wars going on politically around us. And we are, if not exasperated, flustered, and discouraged, right? And, and there, what is our hope, right? And the hope, I believe, is the gospel. And the gospel is a message about the kingdom of God. The gospel is a message about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is, is waging war against the kingdoms of this earth. And how do we know that? Because the kingdoms are raging against the kingdom of God, locking pastors and their wives, shutting down Christians, killing Christians around the world. Even this morning as we worship, there will be those who will lose their faith, they'll lose their life for their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we have this hope that Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 that you and I have been transferred, delivered from the kingdom of darkness into this beautiful language, into the kingdom of his beloved son. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son so that we would have hope and we'd be filled with compassion. Why is that important? Because it really does reflect a lot of the work going on, a lot of what's going on in Jesus' ministry in this text. Jesus came proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, right? And in the midst of those religious and political wars that were raging around Jesus and his ministry, Jesus comes as the Son of God to show something divinely more powerful than the warring nations and the politics of his day. He came to show them and declare to them there was a God who is filled with compassion. Now, I don't know what words are being used about the church today. I hear a lot of all kinds of things as I describe my work to unbelievers and new people I meet or talk to family members who are not believing, and they will have lots of words. I wonder what some of the words might be to describe the church, right? The church. You know what? The church is a controversial place. They fight about a lot of stuff. You know, the church seems to be caught up in a lot, of, a lot of issues here or there, right? Seem to be committed to some kind of political will or agenda. There's a lot of politics going on in the church. They might even say, there's some beautiful... I see a church doing work in places I never thought I would see work being done. There'd be great encouraging words, maybe by some, about the church. But would the church be described by this one word, compassion? Would the church be known to be a compassionate and gracious people. If we've really been delivered from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, what does that look like? What does that feel like? And here, Jesus in Matthew 9:35, really picking up what's going on in Matthew 4:35 and, and carrying that through this section, Jesus comes proclaiming and teaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease, healing every kind of sickness. He's leaning into darkness. And he is showing the power of this kingdom of light that drives out darkness and heals people who are blind and lame and deaf and mute and sick and weak. Jesus comes saying, I am the beloved son who is the only one who can deliver you from the kingdom of darkness. And that is the very grounds by which we should have hope this morning as Jesus comes de describing, declaring the gospel, the kingdom in himself. It's a powerful picture of what Jesus is about. But we hear in this text that Jesus is doing this as he looks out and he sees people and has compassion on them. Indeed, compassion is one of the biggest notes and markers of Matthew's gospel. He's constantly reminding the people who read this gospel letter, this word of God before them, that our God is a compassionate God. Now, we expect, because we know enough, some of us know enough about the Bible, that's what Jesus does, right? He heals people. He does stuff. That's his job as a son of man, right? We just think that's what Jesus does. But let, let's take it a little bit more personally, right? Let's think about this for a minute. If you're a, a grandparent or a parent or a brother or a sister, and you think about your daughter or granddaughter being blind from the day of her birth, right? You think about your son or grandson who's never walked a day in his life 
You think about your daughter, grandson, granddaughter, who's possessed by a demon. Can you imagine those family dynamics? And I know lots of people who are suffering with kids who have all kinds of ailments. What if Jesus came to your house and your daughter could see and your son could walk and the demons fled your children? Would you not say at that moment that the kingdom of God had come to you? Right? The kingdom of God. Jesus, the kingdom has visited to me. Right? And that would be the hope of the gospel. The kingdom that drives out darkness and unbelief right before our very eyes. This morning, how about you? Have you sensed, have you known Jesus' compassion? As we have even sung this morning, have you seen Jesus' compassion, His pity? And we, as Americans, hate the word pity. But that's the nature of Jesus' compassion. He has pity on those who are needy, who are languishing, who are weak and sick, and who need healing. This morning, may we come to see that this is a part of why Jesus comes to bring this compassion is to show that his compassion is filled with power to change us and to place us on mission. So let's hear the word of God. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into the harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the very word of God. May he bless it to us and write its truths upon our hearts. He was a young man walking along the coast in England. He was captured by pirates who ended up taking him to another foreign and strange land. And among those people that he was placed, he was called to be a shepherd of pigs and a keeper of goats and sheep. And the people he was around were a pagan people, often even sacrificing their own children to unknown, strange, foreign gods. And in that place, he began to labor and to remember and to listen to the things he was taught by his mother long before. God began to stir in him after his seven years of being a slave in this new place, a calling on his life. He was able to escape those people, those Celtic people in Ireland, and make his way back home to attend the monastery, right? To become a priest. Of course, his name is Patrick. We know him as St. Patrick. But the amazing thing about Patrick's education on the back side of that, right, is that he felt immediately called to do what? To go back to the people that had enslaved him and treated him as a slave, right? Why would a man want to do that? Why would that be his first missionary call out of his seminary experience, you might say, or his training? Was it not? Could it not been Literally the compassion that God had shown him. How God had rescued him out of the things and the brokenness and the unbelief of his own life that he went back to minister to those people and to show them the love of Christ and that the kingdom of God is greater than all their sins and their unbelief and their wickedness. That's why he went back. One great quote of 
St. Patrick is, the Lord is sovereign over all. And he says, I have said enough emphatically. Right? You may have said that a few of your preachers. I think he said plenty. I think we should close in prayer. He said, no, he believed in the sovereign working and will of God in his life and in the life of those Celtic people. Can you imagine that? A people that were offering their own children and as sacrifices to foreign gods were now going to be gathered around a Christian table of communion and look to the body and blood of Jesus to forgive them and to unite them and to give them hope. His mission was a mission of compassion. And that should be our mission today. We should be, of all people, the ones who celebrate that God had mercy on me. And if He had mercy on me, He actually may have mercy on you too. And if He can do it with me, surely He can do it with you. Isn't that what church planting really is all about? Right, Inviting other sinners into a place to find the bread of life in Jesus, to find the communion of the saints to be the only thing we need in life, even as we face death. We are a people who are called to celebrate the compassion of Jesus. And that really is the mission of God in the world. You sharing your gospel one-minute, 30-second story about how God had grace and mercy upon you. Surely He showed you that this week. Surely you can share that with others. Simply by saying, I met a man whose name is Jesus, and he knew everything about me. And he knows everything about me. He knows everything about you. And he loved me. There are two things that Jesus shows us about his compassion. The first thing he shows us is that his compassion has spiritual eyes. Eyes that he is seeking to give to us by faith. And the second thing the text shows us is that he gives us spiritual direction. How are we to live? How are we to look after for the kingdom of God? How are we to long for the kingdom of God upon the earth? Jesus and his compassion gives us spiritual eyes and spiritual direction. So notice in verse 35 and 36 that compassion has spiritual eyes. There are two words used here, right? That they are harassed and helpless people. Uh, that, that Jesus sees this, right? In the busyness of Jesus' ministry, as he's going from one city to the next, proclaiming and healing, being exhausted at the end of every day, the text kind of slows down, right? And Jesus looks out and he sees people. He sees the weariness on their faces. He sees the harassment filled in their eyes, their drooping countenance, their shrugged shoulders, their weeping, their weeping faces in their hands. He sees all of that. So Matthew slows down for us to help us see that, that Jesus sees that, that, that sin itself is harassing these people. It's distressing them. And that is that sin obviously wreaks havoc in every area of our life. The way we think, the way we feel, the way we live. Sin is not simply a failure to keep God's commandments. It's a power that rages war against our flesh in us. That's why the Easter that we just celebrated is so important. Because without the resurrection power of Christ, the power of sin wins. Darkness wins. And we die in darkness and unbelief. Jesus sees that, and He has compassion upon them. He sees the reality of how sin dehumanizes us as image bearers of God. As I often used to say in campus ministry and life, I still say to even my four sons, hey guys, sin makes you stupid. just does. Sin makes you do things that you know are irrational. 
our dumb decisions. Sin is a power that wages war against our flesh. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, right? When he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Who will deliver me, he cries out, from this body of flesh? You see, Jesus sees the harassing nature of sin and the eyes and the lives of these people better than you and I can. And he doesn't flinch. He doesn't flinch at their brokenness, unbelief, rebellion, and he doesn't flinch at yours. He sees how sin harasses the people who are created in the image of God and how sin turns us away from him because it is a power that wages war against our flesh. But also we see Jesus sees a helpless people, right? What are they helpless from? They're helpless from the nature of religion. You can't have a more politically charged, religiously driven environment in which Jesus ministered, right? Around the temple. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were, who were laboring and creating more laws to weigh down the people of God or the people of Israel, right? Weighing them down. Putting more and more burdens on them. Seeking the best places, that is, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what we learn for the rest of Jesus' ministry, and particularly maybe even this, this text, is that religious practices cannot and will not save us. They will only bring great ruin and disappointment into our lives and in our hearts. This is what was going on with the religious class and leaders. The lords, they were lording religion over them, but Jesus had compassion, and we know this because he says they were, right? They were like sheep without a shepherd. That, that's an announcement, by the way, that, that, that Jesus himself came to be the great shepherd, the great shepherd of Israel. You can look at the next chapter, how he will be the shepherd of Israel ultimately for his people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, their sin was distressing and harassing them, right? And it was this nature of religion that left them helpless and dispirited. And Jesus comes and steps in to show these people that He had come to rescue them from their sin and from the death that only religion can bring without believing in the person and work of God revealed in Jesus. And finally, really, we see right that Jesus sees people with true compassion. At the, in all reality, that's what he's saying when he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. He came to that place to be their shepherd. Jesus is ultimately leading us to the place, right? The place where his compassion will be fully on display, fully displayed for you and me, right? The, the gospel of Matthew is marching us from this point forward to get us to the Passion Week, the cross of Christ. That crucial place where Jesus in His humanity would become the most distressed and the most dispirited human who would ever walk the face of the earth. Why? So He can show real compassion to people who have been destroyed and separated from God by sin. Why else would Jesus go to the cross? Why else is the cross the place where true compassion and mercy are shown to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Here it was. Jesus Christ facing the hatred of God for our sin. And all you have to do, right, is to read just physically speaking about a crucifixion by the Journal, uh, American Medical, uh, Journal of American Medicine, the Medical Association, that JAMA article. 
seven pages single space, I commend it to you. What did a crucifixion do to a human being? And it's wicked and evil and astoundingly sobering, right? But that's only half the story. What Jesus underwent for you and me is he, under, he underwent the wrath and the curse of God. So no one could ever say, humanly speaking, on this side of heaven, no one could ever say that Jesus doesn't understand losses and crosses. Jesus doesn't understand my sin, my brokenness, my problems. It's impossible. For what Jesus had endured and suffered proves to us in his humanity as the Son of God that he came for those who were most distressed and dispirited if they would only look to him. What's amazing, right, in this text, too, is you think down the road, what will Jesus do as the final act of his compassion? While Jesus is hanging there and facing darkness and the wrath of God that's coming upon him, what does he do? He shows one of the most compassionate things that any son could do at that moment. He looks at his mother, Mary, and he says to her, this is now your son, John, my beloved disciple. John, now this is your mother. In the midst of all that pain and that agony, he is still showing love and compassion towards his mother, his family. Showing her that he loves her, even as he dies for her soon. One thing we need to ask this morning is, have, has our hearts grown cold to the things of God? And you kind of have to write, yes. Yes, my heart grows cold to the things of God almost as normally as the breath I breathe, right? Well, how in the world are Christians, how is a new church to be founded if its heart, if its life is cold? And I would venture to say in my own Christian experience, and I'm sure you would testify of this yourself, that it's when we've forgotten that God has shown us great grace, mercy, in the compassion of Jesus Christ for us. That's why our hearts grow cold. We're depending on something else. We're using religious props. We're trying to manage our sin in some external way. But we're not asking God to deal with our souls. And if God doesn't deal with our souls, who will deal with our souls? If we have grown cold to the compassion of Christ, we will grow cold towards others. Children, as, well, they're all dismissed now, but you can tell them later now. I've often said to my kids when they went into school, not easy schools, difficult school situations, will you find somebody to sit with? Will you find somebody to talk to? Will you be a friend of the friendless? Will you ask a question? the downtrodden. Surely we, as God's people, should be prayerfully and patiently developing eyes of compassion that Jesus has for us so that we would have them for others around us. There are plenty, plenty of hurting people, aren't there? In every one of our homes and family dynamics, in every one of our workplaces, in every church I've ever been in, there are lots of people who need the compassion of Jesus we're asking Jesus to give us eyes to see the things that he sees. The second thing I also want us to say and see as well is that compassion has not only spiritual eyes, but a spiritual direction. Spiritual direction. Jesus calls his disciples to do something very simple and profound and something we become too used to maybe, but not used to enough. Therefore, pray, beg earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Why does he say that? What's the compelling reason? Because he says, right, there is a ripe harvest. He gives us his divine optimism. When Jesus looks out, he sees only opportunity. When you and I look out, we only usually see gray skies. When I look around and I think of my life and some of the people in my life, I go, man, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have a whole lot of optimism about a lot of things I see. But the question is, will I take on the eyes and vision of Jesus to see what he sees? Because when Jesus looks out, he goes, there are my people. And those people out there belong to me. And if they belong to me, then they're ultimately going to belong in here, a place like this, a church. So will we have eyes with this optimistic, divine optimism that Jesus gives us? That should be hopeful eyes, right? Pray with confidence, pray with urgency for the sake of the gospel. He commands us to do this. He commands us to pray for more workers. And we like that idea. And as we'll see in the next verse, he not only says you are to pray for more workers in the harvest, he says you all are the workers. In 10, chapter 10, verse 1, right? He sends them out and they go out and heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. We like the praying part. We don't like the going part. But Jesus gives us that direction of praying to God vertically and going to man horizontally. Praying and going is the rhythm and the pattern of the Christian life. It's for those who have experienced the love of God in Jesus, have experienced His compassion, have experienced His mercy, we are called to go as kingdom priests and servants to the world. And this is the good news. I promise you this. Wherever you are going, there are God's sheep there. Because Jesus says if we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, wherever he places us, there are his people there he desires to gather. And that should give you hope that every appointment or conversation is a divine one. Because God is in control of all things. If he knows every hair upon our head and those lacking and every place we've ever lived and will live, he has ordained all things that shall come to pass. That means every relationship you will ever have and every person that's ever been around you, even if they're passing by you at 65 miles an hour. And what if we took that kind of divine optimism and hope into the workplace and back to our families that maybe God will do this. Maybe he will save them. Maybe he will refresh me. Maybe he will open my eyes to see that his gospel is powerful and he can do whatever he wants to do and he just might use somebody like me. That's the hope of the gospel. We are to go out in the harvest. And when we see people go out into the harvest, when we see people converted, when we see people come to Christ, it invigorates the church. Read the book of Acts and how that sends people out looking for the lost sheep of Israel. You remember the story of the 99, right? The 99 sheep and the one that is lost, the parable of the lost sheep. The picture of Jesus, right, as the good shepherd of Israel, ultimately that is, that's portraying. And the text is telling us that Jesus sees the one that is lost and far off, and He leaves the 99. And He goes off to find the one lost sheep. And we say to ourselves, and I have said to myself, well, Man, uh, Jesus, 99, that's pretty good. Nobody gets 100%. Jesus always gets 100%. You see, the reason why he goes and leaves is the 99 
is because they are as valuable as the one. And wouldn't you rejoice if you're the one, you're the one sheep that He moved heaven and, heaven and hell to save you from yourself so you could have the compassion of Jesus filling your heart, filling your life, and sending you out. And by the way, this praying and this going is the mission for ourselves as a church and church plan. Do you actually think you can finish this race by yourself? The world is telling you you can. There's enough coaches and metrics and self-help and medications that can help you get to the end of your life. That's a lie. It's not true. And the people of God need to run from that and run to Jesus so they can run to each other. You see, there's no way I'm figuring out my marriage by myself. I don't know how to be a grandparent. Do you? There are lots of examples and peoples in our lives that are found right here in the church. Who's going to pray for the souls of your children? Who's going to take my sons rejoice in the church plant they were a part of because men took them out to lunch and talked to them and reached out to them and knew them by name? They talk, more about, they talk a whole lot more about that than any sermon I ever preached in that church. So how will you be on mission together? Because many of us feel helpless and helpless. Hopeless and helpless. That's normal. That's a Christian life, fighting sin, fighting the world, fighting the flesh. But together we are called to be on mission with each other. Because Jesus made us for himself and he made us to gather as a church. Ask yourself how you can serve in this congregation. I'm sure Reed and Jeff and Hunter would love for you to find ways to show the compassion of Jesus. Actually, don't even ask them. Just tell them you're doing it. Get back with them later. They would love to have you be the hands and feet of Christ. There's a powerful story I remember from a good friend told long ago about one of his. Whoops, sorry. About long, long ago about one of his friends who went to do a a mission internship youth work slash thing in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And as he went there in that place, he began to develop relationships. As he worked in central Philly. There were all kinds of problems, but he met all kinds of young men. And those young men, he began to play basketball and disciple and to teach Bible studies. But he often grew distressed and dispirited. He became very discouraged at one point in his ministry, so the story goes. Because a lot of the men he was ministering to, some of them ended up back in jail. Or they they ended up dead on the street or moving off to another place. And these weren't just black folks, these were white folks and Hispanic folks. All kinds of people who had been harassed by the world and broken by sin. And he began to become very discouraged. And he knew of one man that he had not seen in a while, and he knew generally what apartment complex that he lived. And so he went out to find this one young man. And he, he tells a story about him going up to the apartment that he had been to, he thought before, and he breaks, kind of knocks on the door and comes to the door and says, I'm trying to find so-and-so. And he looks in that room, and as soon as he comes in that apartment, he realizes he's in the wrong apartment. There are guns, there are drugs, there are angry-looking people, and they want to know, why are you here? And by the grace of God, maybe the Holy Spirit, he says, at that moment, he goes... I'm not sure I know why I'm here, but I do want to ask one question. I want to know, are any of Jesus' children in this place? Are any of Jesus' children in this place? That's what I want to know. And his boldness and this Holy Spirit helping him, he ended up leading many of those young men to Jesus Christ. Now, we could say, hey, that's a youth worker. 
Or we can say, hey, that should be my mission. Isn't Jesus calling us to be the people who go out and find the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Shouldn't we find ways in which to to find those people who are harassed and helpless by sin? Should we not think of ourselves like that pastor today? You know, the last time I checked, sheep just don't come in. They have to be called out to. They have to be named. And a lot of sheep just need to be drug in. And it's by gracious people who know the compassion of God that many people come in. And that is my story. And I'm sure that's the story of many of you. I would have never gone to church had not somebody sought me out, loved me, and brought me to the church and made me a disciple of the Lord Jesus so that I would know Him as the one great and good shepherd. St. Patrick was a faithful shepherd. He gives us this wonderful quote that you may have heard before. He says, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. His motto was Christ was his all in all, which put him on mission for Jesus. If you have Christ this morning, if you have been filled with his compassion, then you have the privilege to go with the good news that the kingdom of God has come, that God has compassion upon sinners so they might see his grace and follow after him in his mercy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you left heaven and earth to come and redeem the people that belong to you. We pray that you would give us hope, you would give us boldness, and you would remind us in a still, sweet way this morning that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding, as the Bible says, in loving kindness. May you... This week, O God, O Holy Spirit, come, be with us. Open our eyes to see the lost, the hurting, and the broken. And tell them about a man who can forgive sins and who gives them a kingdom that will last forever. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.